Hello, and welcome to the Phototherapy Podcast, brought to you by Oath Photography. I'm your host, Philip Slaughter, and today is the Phototherapy Podcast, episode number four, talking about planning and prepping for a trip. I created the show to have in-depth discussions with fellow creators to talk about photography, industry, gear, news, and other topics of interest. And I hope you enjoy the show. First, let's start off with a few news stories. So the first story I have here is from petapixel.com. And this article is titled, uh, Massive Brenizer Method Portraits Made from 16 Medium Format Photos. And if you are unfamiliar with what the Brenizer method is, I, I suggest you go look it up, um, do some research. It is a, a fantastic method that will um, allow you to use more of a telephoto length lens or maybe a tighter lens than you would normally get for the um, photo that you're capturing and stack photos together in a grid so just like a, a bingo card, for instance, you've got five across the top and you've got five rows, something like that. So you use your camera on a tripod and point it at the top right or le top left corner, for instance, take a photo, then move it over, take another photo, move it over, take another photo, move it over on and on, creating more rows, more columns, all that kind of stuff until you have a bunch of photos. So this photographer used a medium format camera to create one giant photo out of 16 medium format photos. So basically what you do is you take all these into Photoshop and um, basically it'll auto align them to create a massive photo. And if you use a telephoto length lens or a longer lens, you can create more compression, more depth of field, uh, or I guess more of a shallower depth of field um, for a wider shot than so it, it really, so it's a really cool method. So you're using, you're getting a wider photo while maintaining that compression and that shallower depth of field. Anyways, check it out. I suggest you do it. But this photographer, Steven Schultz, um, used an entire roll of 120 film to create a single portrait. Um, and some of these photos are amazing. Um, maybe a little wonky just because of the lines and the way that uh, they're lining up and things like that. But it's creating some amazing um, just aesthetics in, in a photo. So check that out. Um, I did this years ago for um, a project that I was working on with the city of Frisco, um, creating a photo of the soccer, uh, the National Soccer Hall of Fame, which is here in Frisco. And I took, I think it was like 23 photos with a 35 millimeter lens. And what I really needed was probably like a 12 or 14 millimeter lens from the distance I was standing to get the huge, like the, the building, the front of the building at night. But I used a 35 millimeter lens, shot all of these photos, put it together, ended up being this huge, gigantic, like 219 megapixel uh, photo. It was a little bit different, kind of distorted image, but it looked really cool. Very different, something that nobody's ever done before for this, you know, uh, spot in, in Frisco. And so it turned out really cool. So I suggest get out there, try different methods like this Brenizer method. Um, it, it turns out really, really neat if you can, you know, kind of figure out how it works. 
All right, story number two. This comes from dpreview.com. And this is a uh, an update about a new lens adapter. Now, with the invention of uh, mirrorless cameras, and actually even before that, we've had focus peaking um, with different cameras that'll you know kind of outline the image of what's in focus when you're using a manual focus lens, and that's super handy. Uh, with mirrorless cameras, since they're so much smaller, you're able to use a lens adapter to adapt lenses to to kind of make up for that shorter distance between the flange distance between what a lens would attach to a DSLR to uh, a mirrorless camera. So there's all kinds of adapters out there, manual adapters, some autofocus adapters. But there's a new one out and it is $400. So not super cheap for an adapter, but it will allow you to mount M mount lenses. So for a Leica camera, M-mount lenses to your E-mount Sony camera, but it will also add in autofocus. Super cool. So these are all manual focus lenses, but what it will do is it will move the lens in and out away from your camera and closer to your camera to create basically like autofocus with these manual focus lenses. So as many of you know, Leica M-mount lenses can be some of the sharpest out there, create some of the best colors, and these lenses are, are built uh, by engineers who know their stuff. Um, they're very sharp, or can be very sharp, but they're also very aesthetically pleasing. So this is a super cool adapter, and I love seeing stuff like this brought out because all of these M-mount lenses like I said, are fantastic, but if we can use these again on mirrorless cameras or, um, you know, kind of bring these back to, um, to be in use, that that's just awesome. I think more stuff like this should be created. Uh, just innovation kind of helps propel art. Now this last story is from wallpaper.com and the title is could NFTs spark a photography revolution? Meet the innovators. So if you're not familiar with NFTs, it's a non-fungible token, which to most people doesn't really mean anything because it's so confusing on how that works and what it is. So an NFT is basically like a certificate of authenticity saying that you're the only one that owns this specific piece of such and such, whether it's an art or a graphic or... Um, maybe a ticket to a concert, something like that. It's a one-of-a-kind digital file. So what a lot of people are doing, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of people on Twitter, things like that, buying these super high-end graphics that people are creating, um, they're even customizing them, things like that. And they are the only one that owns that. They have the right to print it, they have the right to share it or post it online, but they're the only ones that legally can own those things. Now, my question is, I don't know what's the difference between that and like having a copyright. I don't know. This is kind of a whole new world and I don't know all the ins and outs and the you know, in intricacies of these the NFTs. But this article is highlighting the NFTs could spark more of a photography rev revolution. Um, so there are a lot of very high-end art photographers that will be creating 
one-of-kind images and selling them as art pieces through Web3 platforms as an NFT, which I think is kind of cool because it's kind of going back to uh, the original kind of art of photography, which is, you know, taking a a photo on uh, a slide or film or something like that and printing it or having that, that one sheet as the only one that exists. You can do reprints, you can do different things, but that's the, that's the original. That's the only one. NFTs are obviously digital. And so things can get a little bit different when it's digital, but, um, you know, a little bit of a throwback to, to the original days. Interestingly, uh, Sony recently came out with a new update to the Sony a seven four. It's a firmware update that they will be coming out with, or maybe it's already out, um, that allows you to, uh, mark these images that you're taking as the original, um, so that you can add it to the blockchain as, as an NFT and have that more or less certificate of authenticity, uh, showing that that's, that's the original. Um, so, uh, you know, people are getting into this, artists are getting into this, and now we're seeing the technology, um, the creators of these, these cameras, uh, getting in on this and allowing photographers or creatives to have an easier time to display and use their art for this kind of purpose. So anyways, something to look into to do more research on your end, but Hey, you know, this could be something that you could get into, uh, to make more money for your photography. Okay. That's the end of our news segment. Uh, a little bit different today, but well, you know, well, no, I don't want to say that. So that's the end of our news segment for today. So now I want to jump into the main story. Uh, today I want to talk to you about prepping for a trip, uh, what to take, what to pack, what to leave behind maybe. So I recently took a trip with my family to Northern California, which is a wondrous land full of beautiful landscapes, light, beautiful weather. And I knew that this in this short week that I was there, that I would want to capture as much as I could while still spending time with my family. So there are several conditions that I had to think of before packing. So I'm going to run through this list of conditions that I had to think through before I packed anything into my bag. Okay, so number one, a limiting factor was space. I knew that other than some chargers and maybe a tripod that I would have to carry on in my carry-on bag most all of the gear that I had. So we were flying out there on Southwest, which I love Southwest, so whatever. Pretty much all of the airlines have the same kind of rules and regulations on what size carry-on bag you can have. Um, So with that, I had to fit all of my camera gear, or almost all of it, into my carry-on bag. And that left me with only a certain amount of space to pack stuff into. There were a couple of caveats, such as chargers. I put those in a small bag in my check bag. You're supposed to carry on all of your lithium-ion batteries. You're supposed to carry those on and not check those. So the chargers were fine. The batteries went with me in the carry-on. Again, the tripod. I had a little small Manfrotto B-Free, I think it's called. Um, Just a tiny travel tripod that I took with me. 
And then the only other thing was my film camera and some film. My parents drove out to the same place we were going. So instead of having to go through x-rays or having to check that stuff, I just put it in their car and said, hey, here's a small bag with a camera and some lenses. Do you mind taking it? They, they did, and I was very thankful for that. So other than a few of those things, everything else that I had had to fit in a carry-on bag. So that was the limiting, the number one limiting factor was space. The next thing I had to think about was quality time with my family. As much as I love photography, I love my family more. And this trip was a family first trip. And if I could get some cool landscape photos while I was there, great. But that meant that all of my gear, my shooting locations, my times to shoot, those all took a back seat to me spending time with my family. So that's one of the other factors I had to think through. I didn't want those to get in the way of time with my family. Number three, in that train of thought, I also needed to take gear that would allow me to capture photos of me and my family while I was there. So that might have included the, the tripod, uh, which you know I would probably already have for landscape photography, but if I wanted to hop in the photo, I wanted to take a tripod or a remote control to you know, trigger the camera while I was in the picture, um, things like that. Okay, number four, what was I going to shoot and what was the weight of the gear that I needed? So I knew that I would be hiking quite a bit and that some of that content that I would be shooting while I was hiking would be more of a in-the-moment kind of photography rather than a planned, you know, this is the shot that I need, this is the gear that I need. So I, uh, so I had to plan for kind of, hey, I'm going to capture what happens, not necessarily planned. So that included some zoom lenses instead of prime lenses because I didn't know, you know, what I would need. Um, kind of included a wide variety of things. Anyways, so that was number four thing I had to think about. Number five planned shots. I did have a few planned shots, not very many, but a few planned shots that I knew that I had to prepare my gear and had to prepare my knowledge of how to capture these images before I left. Number six, rules and regulations. This is the last one, I think, on the list, but probably one of the more important ones. Rules and regulations. I wanted to take my drone, but I knew there were certain locations that drones were not permitted. So, National parks and one of the state parks we went to did not allow drones. That was very important for me to look it up before I sent it up in the air. Uh, I actually took my drone to one of the state parks, got there as we were rolling into the, um, you know, gate, big sign that said, do not use your drone. I said, okay, I'm going to leave it in the car. Uh, I wasn't going to take it on a hike with me because I wasn't allowed to use it. I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to disturb other people that were there with my drone. So I didn't take it with me. So before you go, you, you know, review the rules and regulations of where you're going, what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. I think it's Arches, maybe National Park, that doesn't allow tripods for photo groups unless you have like a special permit or something like that. So knowing some of these rules and regulations, as small as they may be, and you may think, well, it's just me. It's not that big of a deal. It is. You're setting the example for other people. We want to follow rules uh, and not set a bad example for other people. Okay, so that was kind of the criteria, the top six things that I thought about before packing anything into my camera bag. But even before that, before packing anything, I do recommend that you know your camera inside and out. Know 
what you plan to shoot, what techniques you want to try, and test those out before you go. Knowledge before gear. That's very important. So for instance, I was out there shooting uh, at night, shooting the Milky Way. It was pitch black because it was a new moon during, I guess it was a new moon on like Friday or Saturday. So the week leading up to that was very dark with no moonlight, but there was tons of stars. It was beautiful. But if you if I didn't know my camera, I wouldn't know, if I didn't know my camera inside and out, know where all the buttons are, know where all the controls are, um, I would have a really difficult time trying to adjust things on the fly while I'm shooting photography or shooting photos outside in the dark. So know your camera inside and out, know the techniques you want to try, um, and then and then go out there. So here's a, a short list of what I did take. Well, I say it's short. It might be a long list. I don't know. Here's what I did take. I took my Sony a7 IV. I also took my Sony a7 III as a backup camera. I also planned on doing some behind-the-scenes photos. Um, I, n- I never did. I never pulled it out to take behind-the-scenes photos. I did take a few photos here and there. Like if I had my long lens on, on my a7 IV, and I wanted to just grab a photo of my kids real quick. I grabbed my a7 III with um, the next thing on my list, which is the Sony Zeiss 35mm 2.8 pancake lens. This is a no-brainer. Since it's so small and so sharp, it is. it would make more sense for me to take it than put a lens cap on the camera and not take this lens. So that was kind of a no-brainer. It actually came in super handy on one of my hikes. Um, I was planning to get some photos of some wildlife, so I took my long lens, but I thought, well, just in case, I'll take my 35 millimeter pancake lens and just in case I might need that. So I I tossed it in my bag. It takes up like no room whatsoever, but I got out there and the trail that we ended up going on was heavily wooded. There were, you couldn't hardly see past, I don't know, 10 or 15 yards because it was so heavily wooded. So I got some cool detail shots, landscape kind of detail shots with the long lens, but I ended up just swapping it out for the 35 millimeter pancake lens and had a great time. I got a much wider view and it was super light carrying out on the trail. It was awesome. Okay. The second lens I took was my Sony 16 to 35 G master lens. This is also a no brainer for landscape shots. Um, you kind of, are expected to have a, a wide angle lens of some sort for landscape shots. The 16 to 35 is a great range. Um, Sony also has a, I think it's a 12 to 24, which would be super cool to try. Um, but I already have the 16 to 35 and I didn't really want to rent something and take it out there. So 16 to 35 was perfect for me. The third lens I took, which is probably my favorite uh, out of the bunch, is the Tamron 35 millimeter to 150. So 35 to 150 is a pretty good range, and it's a f2 to 2.8. So this is a pretty bright lens as far as you know how wide the aperture can go, but it goes from 35, which is fairly wide, to 150, which is fairly good telephoto. So this one was perfect for almost everything. I was able to take it on the trail, get some wide shots, get some tighter shots, and only have to take that one lens most of the time. I also had my Sony 100 to 400 millimeter G Master lens, which for wildlife or tighter landscape shots, that's a super sharp lens, super cool, but it does weigh a lot. So it kind of takes up some space and it is pretty heavy. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I had my drone with me. 
I have the DJI Mavic Air 2S drone, which packs pretty small, um, and I took a couple extra batteries. Um, so as I'm mentioning batteries, I had a bunch of extra batteries of all sorts. So I had a couple extra batteries for each camera, a couple extra batteries for my drone, a bunch of like AA and AAA, which worked for my flashlights and other accessories that I had. I had, uh, I packed a bunch of chargers, which actually I checked on most of the chargers. I, as you may know, a lot of the newer cameras or mirrorless cameras allow you to charge through like USB-C or USB micro um, through your camera. So I kept a couple of cables in my camera bag just in case my check bag got lost, but um, I packed most of the chargers in the check bag and that worked fine. I brought a camera remote for family shots, which I didn't end up using a whole lot, but um, you know, it was good to have. Uh, I also had a clip in ND filter, which I think I mentioned during the last episode is my gear pick. Um, this clip in ND filter allowed me to take one small filter instead of a bunch of different sizes of filters um, to use with all my different lenses. Uh, so the clip in ND filter was super handy for like landscapes and waterfall shots where I needed to kind of darken down the sky or darken down, you know, whatever. Um, let's see, what else did I have? Oh, the Sony Imaging Edge app. <clears throat> oh, so the Sony Imaging Edge app, it's an app for your phone. So it wasn't like it took up a whole lot of space or it didn't take up any space other than space on my phone, I guess. But anyways, so those are remote, um, I use that for, as a remote. Uh, I, I transferred files from my camera to my phone. I could do some editing and posting with that. But I also used it for um, remote shooting. So at night, I mentioned earlier that I, I took photos of the um, I took photos of the the, the Milky Way. Um, but I also used it for bulb mode. So bulb mode is where you can hit the shutter. It will open it up and keep capturing light. For as long as you have the button held down. Now, as you can imagine, if you keep holding the button down, those micro movements from your hand holding the button is going to shake your camera and it will create motion blur on your photos, which is not ideal, right? If you're keeping it open for a long time. So I use the Imaging Edge app bulb mode. You can actually swipe the button on the app and it will release the shutter for however long you have it swiped or whatever. So you don't actually have to have your hand on it. You just swipe it across. It will continue to stay open until you swipe it back. So I kept it open for, I think the longest one I had was like close to five minutes long exposure to, to capture the foreground. As I mentioned earlier, it was super dark out there. And so the longer I had the shutter open, the more light that I could kind of capture of the foreground and then edit that in with the, the Milky Way. Okay, so as we we're talking about the digital you know, apps and things like that, I also took my computer and hard drive to kind of continue to back up stuff as needed. I didn't end up doing much editing while I was out there other than kind of checking a few things while I was, while I was gone. Um, so this is something that you could or might not want to take, I don't know, it's up to you. Um, I took my tripod, obviously, I mentioned that earlier, super handy. I took my Nikon F mount to Sony FE mount adapter, just in case I wanted to use any of my old film lenses on or manual focus lenses on the Sony. 
I took my film camera and lenses and some film. I took a, a Rode Video Micro, so their smallest little on-camera microphone. I didn't end up using it. I thought I might want to do some video, but didn't end up using it. It didn't take up much space, and it's super light, so I didn't feel bad about throwing that in the bag. I took a few extra tripod quick-release plates so I could screw it onto the bottom of my camera, screw it on the bottom of my 100 to 400 millimeter lens, uh, put it on the bottom of my film camera, you know, things like that, just in case I needed an extra quick release plate. I'd rather have one than not. I also had a multi-tool, and this one I checked in the bag because it has a pocket knife in it. You can't take that through security in your carry-on. So I checked that in the bag. It was helpful because I needed the screwdriver to use the quick release plates or, you know, different things like that. It was super handy. I had a fast card reader, which is nice. Uh, lots of extra SD cards. And one thing I wish I had taken that I don't know why I didn't take, but was a circular polarizer for some of the water shots that I did. That would have been super handy. That was just kind of a bummer, dope, you know, moment that I had, not realizing I didn't bring that. So what didn't I take? Uh, I didn't take many prime lenses. I love prime lenses, and I, you know, love the, the depth of field that they can create with some of the faster prime lenses. Um, I also love that they are dedicated to one specific focal length, and they're really good at it, typically. But I didn't have space for a specialty lens, and uh, I kind of wanted the whole range covered. I already had it covered with the lenses that I took, so there wasn't much need for a specialty prime lens for me to take. I didn't take any lighting gear. While I did have a flashlight that I used for some of the uh, like light painting and stuff like that, if you know what that is, uh, great. If you don't know what light painting is, go look it up. But I took a flashlight. I didn't have any flashes or reflectors or anything because typically for landscapes, you don't need as much of that kind of stuff. I didn't take any audio gear other than that Rode micro, video micro microphone. Um, I knew I wouldn't be doing much video and didn't want to take anything that I didn't need. Uh, I also didn't have an audio recorder. I didn't have space or time to record a podcast or, or do any sound effects recording. So I, di I didn't take the audio recorder. And one of the last things I didn't take was a battery grip for my cameras. Um, I have battery grips for my cameras just to use for portrait shoots or event shoots, things like that. But I didn't, I didn't really need a battery grip. One, it takes up a lot of space. And two, when you're hiking on the trail, it kind of want the less things hanging off of your camera as possible. So I didn't take a battery grip. So these are just a few things that I knew that I would want or didn't want to take, uh, at least for my style of shooting and the needs that I had. But I'd love to hear what did I miss or what would you take instead? Um, you know, shoot me a DM or, or shoot me an email or whatever. But let me know what you would have taken because I'd love to kind of continually refine this list for my future trips and stuff like that. So a few other things I wanted you to think about would be, will you be editing on the go or are you collecting photos and then editing later? That will help you decide if you want to take a computer or a hard drive, things like that. Another thing is, do you need every single item that you're taking? Go through your bag or your list, check off your list. Do I need this? Am I going to use it for sure? Maybe, maybe not. Um, kind of weigh your options there to, to lighten your load. Um, 
And then what happens if you lose your gear or if something breaks? Do you have a backup plan? Do you have a backup camera, lens? Do you have insurance on these things? Those are things you wanna think about before taking them on a long trip or places that it might get dirty. So, just talking about dirty. Next thing, do you have cleaning materials if your gear gets dirty? I cleaned all of my materials beforehand, all of my gear beforehand, and I also took some lens wipes just in case. Uh, most of these cameras are pretty well weather sealed, so you shouldn't have to worry as much about dirty dirt getting inside unless you're changing lenses on the go. But, uh, you know, a lens wipe or, you know, cleaning cloth is always super handy to have. It doesn't take up a whole lot of space. Um, another thing is where are you storing this stuff? Where are you storing it at night or while you're on a hike? Is it in a safe place? Is it in a kind of weather controlled space or climate controlled space? And then the last thing is, will the amount of gear you have distract you from your family or the main goals of the trip? So if your main goal in the trip is to take photos, hey, okay, go for it. Take what you need. If your main goal for the trip is family or to explore or hike, will these things that you're taking distract you from your main goals? Set that as a priority and not in the background. So those are just a few things, a few tips that I would recommend you think about before taking a trip. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is my gear recommendation. I mentioned this earlier, the Sony Zeiss 35mm f2.8 pancake lens. This is the perfect walk-around prime lens. It has a great sharpness, contrast, it's quick autofocus, it's small, light, it's fairly inexpensive for what you get. It's around like $300, $350 on the used market, but I highly recommend this for anyone who shoots Sony cameras. Um, if you don't use Sony, that's fine. There are other manufacturers that make good pancake lens options for your system. Definitely check those out because I think it's super handy to have an extra lens on hand, especially in the 35 millimeter range because it's semi-wide, but usually they, they can make those in a pretty small package. So check out what, what your um, camera manufacturer makes and kind of do your research and uh, hey, maybe that'd be a good option for you. All right, so that will be the end of our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Phototherapy Podcast. Where can you find me? You can uh, find me at oathphoto.com or on Instagram and Facebook at oath underscore photography on Instagram and then facebook.com backslash oath photography. All one word. I appreciate you guys um, for listening. Thank you for your support. Um, give me a like or subscribe on the podcast and on the socials because I love connecting with people. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave me a comment. I'd love to hear what you're going to pack for your next trip or what you're not going to pack for your next trip. And we'll check you in the next episode. Bye.